Welcome to the Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word, rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. We're continuing today and we're going to be discussing the audience of the gospel. Yeah. I'm going to be talking about the audience of the gospel. The audience of the gospel. Are you ready? If God's agenda for all ages is the kingdom and the gospel is the message of the kingdom, then the gospel is the message for all ages. If God's agenda for all ages is the kingdom, we have established that from part one to part five of series two. Does that make sense? If God's, which it is, right? God's agenda, we have known, God is driven by the kingdom. The end result of everything God is and everything God does is the kingdom. So that's the premise for this statement. If God's agenda for all ages is the kingdom, and as we have seen, the gospel is the message of the kingdom. It means that message is for all ages. Because God's agenda for all ages is the kingdom. And the, mess, the gospel is the message of the kingdom. If the kingdom is for all ages and the message is about the kingdom, then it means the message is for all ages. Does that make sense? So we will never transition from preaching and teaching the gospel to preaching and teaching something else. Does that make sense? To transition from the gospel to something else is to imply that the gospel is not relevant in that age or that the kingdom is not relevant in that age. Watch any society, any church where the gospel is not given pride of place, where the gospel is not magnified above everything else. You see that the kingdom struggles to be birthed in such a people, in such a place. Because the coming of the kingdom is the end of the gospel. Does that make sense? That's why we have said over and over from parts one to part five, gospel into you is what? The kingdom out of you. We pump the gospel into you long enough. The only thing you can respond with is the kingdom. Because the kingdom is the end result of the gospel. And if God's agenda for all ages is the kingdom from day one. God created man in his image first, male and female, he created he them, and then he blessed them. The blessing was saying, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion, mamlaka, authority, domain, rule over the earth. And that was what man lost when he fell, right? And Jesus came to restore, the second Adam, to restore man back to what he lost when he fell. And we have established over and over, man did not lose heaven, sir. Man lost earth. It was earth that God gave man authority over. The garden of Eden was not in heaven. (laughs) Amen. So what did God restore in the person of Jesus? What man lost when he fell. The earth and our dominion over it. 
There's nowhere in the gospel that promises heaven as the reward for believing. Oh, it's a gift for believing at the, at the beginning so you can bring heaven to bear on the earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven has no problem being and doing God's will. Jonas, by virtue of it being heaven, it's God's will. So thy will be done where? On earth, not in a vacuum. As it is in heaven. Heaven being the reference for how the will of God should be done on the earth, which is the goal. Make sense? So if God's agenda for all ages, all ages. Can we say all ages? All ages. Yeah. If God's agenda for all ages is the kingdom and the gospel is the message of the kingdom, then it therefore follows that the message is relevant for all ages. It doesn't change. Do you understand that now? So can I try to teach? This is why from all ages men have been hearing the gospel. We're talking about the audience of the gospel. I've told you guys over and over, especially in this series, that I'm starting from church consciousness actually, that whenever a text of scripture is misinterpreted, a vital truth is lost. Whenever a text of scripture is misinterpreted, a vital truth is lost. The gospel, I said Friday at Edify, the gospel is not an Easter message. The gospel is the only message. I mean, look at the synopsis of part four, series two, where I said to you that Jesus healed the guy, not to prove he was a healer. I don't know if he messed anybody up the way he messed me up, the way that the Lord showed it to me. He healed somebody not to prove he can heal but to prove he can save. So healing is part of your soteria package. Healing is like the, the bumper case that accompanies your brand new phone. Does that make sense? While the church now tries to remove the case from the phone and sell it to you the way that some AC dealers remove the AC installation kits from inside it and sell you the AC and you go and buy the installation kit. And as you are exclaiming, that's exactly what religion is doing to you. God gives a full package in Christ Jesus. The phone plus the charger plus the screen guard plus the bumper case plus the headphones, everything. And then the church collects the salvation package. Remove the charger, remove the cable, remove the headphones, remove the bumper, remove the screen guard. Give you the phone alone and start selling those accessories to you at an inflated price and making you feel like they are doing you a favor. Healing is an accessory in your salvation package. Deliverance even from demons is an instant accessory in your salvation package. You don't buy the brand new phone and start looking for the charger. Start looking for the cable. 
So when Jesus, bring, they bring this guy, his four friends bring him and drop him in front of him, smash the roof and drop him. And Jesus says, <laughs> you know what? Your sins are forgiven. I like the translation that they put in the synopsis that says, I forgive your sins. Somebody sat down paralyzed in a bed, cannot walk. And then you look at him and said, I forgive your sins. And the moment Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, guess what? Jesus expected that guy to get up and walk. If not for the quick interruption of the busybody Pharisees, I said, ah, who is this that has power to forgive sins? Then Jesus now leaves the guy. I says, what's your problem? Which one is easier? To say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise up, take up your bed and walk? Okay, just so that you can believe that the Son of Man has power to forgive sin. Just so that you can know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sin. Rise up, take up your bed and walk. You are healed. So it's out of the overflow of his power to forgive sins that healing was being dispensed. So we don't take healing and make it a message. Featuring healings. Sometimes we're even featuring salvation. Salvation is a guest artist in our crusade. We don't preach the gospel and go into another message. The reason why we're looking for messages is because we haven't understood that the entirety of scriptures, and that's what I will attempt to start to try to begin to show you today. The entire scriptures are one message. I repeat, hear me carefully. If God's agenda for all ages is the kingdom and the gospel is the message of the kingdom, then that message is relevant for all ages, which means to say, therefore, that everything that has been written in scriptures have been about that one message. Everything that has been written. I, mean, I was speaking to somebody, I can't remember who, recently. It was Stephen, Debbie, somebody I had a meeting recently. And I was saying to them, I said, do you understand what the importance of what Paul says to Timothy? He says from, that from when thou was a child, I think it's 3.15 or thereabouts. It was 15 or 16. That from when thou was a child, watch this, thou hast known the holy scriptures. Let me break it down for you. Have you found it? From when that was a child. So say, oh children, uh, they should be in children's church playing games. When that was a child, number one. Thou hast known the holy scriptures, number two. Which are, the holy scriptures here referring to Genesis to Malachi. Stay with me. Not Genesis to Revelation. Second Timothy 3.15, thank you. The holy scriptures are what? Genesis to Malachi. Because when Tim Paul was writing to Timothy, there was no Galatians. <laughs> it's around that time that he was writing those letters. Does that make sense? So he says, when he says, from when I was a child, number one, thou has known the holy scriptures, number two, Genesis to Malachi, for emphasis. Which are able to make thee wise, so force, Sophia, wisdom, unto salvation, which is in Christ Jesus. 
please don't rush this. Timothy, as a child, knew that Genesis to Malachi were the exposition of salvation which is in Christ Jesus before a book could be written in which his name was mentioned. So by the time Jesus shows up on the scene, a 14-year-old Timothy could tell, this is the guy that I saw in Genesis, in Exodus, in Leviticus, in Numbers, in Deuteronomy, in Esther. When I read about this, this is the guy. So Paul cannot take credit for showing Timothy Christ. He taught him ministry. He, he taught him maturity. That the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. He taught him go works fitting for righteousness. Study to show yourself approved. He tells him in 2.15. So Paul instructs him how to ordain a bishop and how to deal with elders and how to handle widows. But Paul cannot take credit for showing him Christ. Because he said, I, I understand and I appreciate and I respect the fact that for when you were a child. What I'm teaching now, you have no needs from when you were a child. Thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation, not wisdom into business progress. So Timothy, from when he was a child, understood the scriptures in the light of its central message. Salvation, which is in Christ Jesus. Because neither is there salvation. So we cannot talk about salvation in a vacuum. And Timothy knew that from when he was a child. Thank God for Rhoda, thank God for Lois. His mother and grandmother. That raised him. That means they too knew this thing. Why is the church messed up? Because we go into the scriptures looking for what to preach. Instead of letting the scriptures, letting us know what should be preached. Scratch what? Who should be preached? Hallelujah. So if the message is for all ages, then it means that men began to hear the message from the beginning. The message of the gospel, the message of the kingdom was heard in the garden of Eden. The tree of the knowledge of life, of good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of the tree of life. And if you eat this one, you shall die. Eat this one and all the others shall live forever. And all that, you have all those types and shadows. Eat of the tree of life. That's all you need. Eat of it. It will sustain you. Don't eat of this one. Don't try and do this by your works. Then the serpent comes in chapter 3 and tells Eve. Eh, Satan is wicked. He says, the God say... You should not eat any fruit from the garden. Now, Satan knew what God said. He was hoping that the woman didn't know so he could distort the facts. She said, she said no, God said we should eat every other one. Every other. Please pay attention. Every other tree, including, with, and it goes without saying, the tree of life. Because they were never told not to eat of the tree of life until they fell. Then God kept away the tree of life. 
If they had never been eating it, there would have been no reason to refrain them from eating it. Eat of all the trees except this one. There's only one tree they were told not to eat of. That means for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, a tree of life was available. And in that is your sustenance. In that is your salvation. In that is your mandate. In that is your dominion. In that is your kingship. In that is your blessing. In that is your replenishing. Just eat your eating tree of life and consequently every other tree that accompanies the tree of life. Like that phone and its accessories. Tree of life and every other tree. Think of healing as a banana. Think of prosperity as a mango. Think of of deliverance as an apple. And all these trees were in the garden surrounded by the tree of life. As you are partaking of the tree of life, all other things are added unto you. Stay away from works. And the serpent comes and says, Ah, no, if you eat that one, that very one that God kept away from you, He kept it away from you because if you do, you will be. If you eat this one for knowledge, discarding and neglecting the knowledge of the fact that you are created in God's image. You will be like God. How are you telling somebody created in God's image that he will be like God? When you want to appeal to man, oh, so if I do this thing, I will unlock something that I probably don't have if I didn't do. And the trouble begins. And we get to Noah. The gospel has been preached and heard for all ages all ages let's start with Noah in Genesis chapter 6 you will turn your Bible today now you know the story but I'll read from verse 17 and 18 just quickly Genesis 6 17 and 18 and behold, I myself, God is saying, I'm bringing a flood of flood waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which, pay attention to flesh, because we'll come back to that in a minute. All flesh, in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Oh, man. See, <laughs> God is giving, of your, God is giving Noah instructions for salvation. Right? I will destroy the earth with flood waters. Every flesh will die. But you, your wife, your sons and your sons' wives will go in the ark with you. It's interesting how we missed the fact that this scripture 
is black and white predestination in Genesis. Because when God is giving Noah this instruction, Noah hasn't even started announcing the flood that is coming. Hasn't started announcing, I'm building an ark. Anybody that is saved will come into it. This is God just telling Noah his intention. Build an ark, I'm bringing water on the earth. When the ark is done, you, your wife, your sons and your sons' wives will go into the ark with you. How we've missed it is what I don't understand. Because God in his infinite foreknowledge knew that at the end of all Noah will do, last, last, only eight of them will believe. He did not predetermine eight people to believe. He foreknew eight people will believe. Because Noah hadn't started saying, he was just receiving the instruction. And God had told him, you, your wife, your sons and your sons' wives will enter the ark. So all Noah needed to do was just preach. Who believe, believe. Who no believe, no believe. That's why I've said over and over, it's a lie. For, for religion to tell you you are saved to save others. No man can save another. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. No man. Yes, sir. No man. Yes, sir. No man. No man. No man. We can dispense the ministry of reconciliation, but it is God who in Christ reconciles men to himself. Reconciliation is a God thing. Let's continue. I'm just trying to get started. It's a juicy Sunday. Very juicy Sunday. <laughs> your son, your wife, and your son's wives with you. Go to chapter 7 and verse 16. Chapter 7 and verse 16. <laughs> so those that entered the ark, one of my favorite scriptures in the Old Testament, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shot him in. That means Noah could not come out once he had entered. So please, I'm announcing to you, please, if you can successfully lose your salvation, find somewhere and park and lose it. And allow us that know that when God built an ark for our safety, told us to go into the ark, the Lord himself shot it in. The Lord, I'm sure by no, by time no one is saying, has the last of the seven animals entered? He just hears a boah! And the Lord shot him in. That is the seal of salvation of the Most High. So if you can have your own ark, that you can, anytime you like, open the door, enter the flood, close it. When you're tired of the flood, you open the ark, you jump back inside. When you feel like you want to swim, you open the ark, you fly inside. Enjoy yourself. But excuse me, you cannot bring your hallucinative reality. 
Because you are hallucinating. Do you understand? You are having fever dreams. And the Lord shut him in. So Noah, the ark has been closed. Come out, let me see. When people pray, preach some things and say, oh, Peter repented. And I challenge them. I, I challenge them all the time. Carry your Bible. Show me one place. One single place where Peter repented for betraying Jesus. One place. Oh, Peter repented. That's why he was forgiven. No, no. The man told him, Peter, I have prayed for you. That your strength will not fail. The same person that told Peter. Peter did not know he would betray Jesus until Jesus told him. It was Jesus that told him. Now you don't understand what the plan is for. You are the one that is going to betray me before the cock crows three times. Peter had no knowledge because Peter in his own conviction did not think of himself as anybody that can be. If anybody can betray Jesus, not Peter. Guess what? Peter told Jesus. He said, if everybody leaves you, me. And he meant it. He meant it. But in the plan of redemption, God had a greater ministry for Peter than that of Peter defending Jesus. Because Peter, don't forget he drew a knife in the garden and chopped off somebody's ear. So Peter had no issues being convinced that he was the personal protector of Jesus. That's why he will always call Jesus to the side and say, don't be talking about death, Jesus. What's, what's wrong with you, 33-year-old boy like you? Let me teach you. See, I've been around in this business, both fishing men and fishing fish. There are some things you still don't understand. All you, all you, all you Galilee boys. <laughs> All these, all these Galilee boys. Don't be saying things like that. He was the one that was always chaperoning Jesus. How can you say somebody touched you? It's all of us that touched you now. What kind of thing is that? Uh, John, ask Jesus who, who will sell him out. Who will betray him? Peter. It's Peter. Because Peter knew that if him, Peter, asked Jesus, Jesus will not answer. So he now told John, the one whom Jesus loved. Yeah. Ask him now, who, who is the one that is going to sell him? Peter had an edge with Jesus. Yeah. Jesus was a personal project to Peter. Yeah. Peter almost took the posture of one who was determined he would not see Jesus fail. Does that make sense? So he had appointed unto himself a ministry. But see, the ministry Peter took unto himself was not the ministry that was written concerning him. <laughs> because the ministry that was written concerning Jesus or Peter was greater than the ministry he had assumed to himself. What was written concerning Peter, Peter according to the scrolls was that you will deny me three times. You, Peter. So Peter found himself working in purpose by his denial. Are you sure you can handle this today? Peter did not deny Jesus by mistake. Jesus told him, 
according to his predetermined will. See, the cock will crow, but before it crows, you will, not you may. Not if you don't pray and fast, not if you're not careful, not if you don't pay attention to the words of scripture. Jesus was in the word of God, the omniscient God was informing Peter, you will deny me. You will deny me. So by the time Peter entered purpose, he couldn't resist it. He didn't even have an idea. When the cock crowed, he came to himself and began to cry because he realized, I have done exactly what Jesus said I would do. That's why in Acts 2, he began to teach and says, he, by his predetermined will, you have taken and killed. He began to understand the predetermination of God because he was saying that that predetermination has affected me. There was stuff I didn't want to do. There's stuff I couldn't have planned to do. There's stuff I couldn't have thought or dreamt of doing. I found myself doing. So let me talk to you about his returning meal for a minute. Men of Galilee. That's what Peter, that's the authority he had in Acts chapter 2. So Peter repented. He regretted. The one that regretted killed himself. (laughs) Because regret is not a fruit of the spirit. So the one that walked in regret walked in the flesh and killed himself. (laughs) He killed himself regretting. Regret is not an element of salvation. But Jesus promised Peter, said, I have prayed for you. I could teach you a thousand things from there. But I will. Because you know, Jesus is saying to Peter, I have prayed for you. We, we have a few records of Jesus praying. One of the few times that Jesus was praying, the last record in the garden before the guys came, the soldiers came. You know, he came back to them three times. And he says, ah, you guys are sleeping. Can you not tarry with me one hour? And he went, I was praying. You know, he was expecting them to tarry with him. He was expecting them to pray with him. But while he prayed, they slept. He prayed, they slept. And he said, I prayed for you. So he expected them to pray with him. They didn't. He prayed while they slept and still prayed for them. When he tells Peter, I have prayed for you. That your strength will not fail. He didn't say, I prayed for you. Why? Can I teach? Why did Jesus not tell Peter, I have prayed for you that you will not fall? Since by all this knowledge I have, I have seen that the way you are going, you are going to deny me. So I have prayed for you that when that spirit of denial comes upon you, you will resist it. It will not get you. So you will not fall into that temptation. Because if Jesus is all knowing, which he is, he knew that Peter was going to deny him, which he knew. He should have prayed to avert the denial and just pray, delete that bit and allow just the bit of soldiers coming straight 
opening their eyes to know it is him and just arrest him and go and do the business. But he didn't do that. He said, I prayed for you because when you betray me, when you betray me, when you deny me three times, your strength will not fail. You will not run out of strength because you denied me. Your denying me will not sap your strength. So I'm praying for you that after you have denied me three times, you will still have strength for what I have determined for you to do. What have I determined for you to do? That after you have denied me three times, you will have strength to strengthen your brethren. And when you are strengthened, strengthen your brethren. So when they see you standing, they can have hope to stand as well. Because Peter was always ringleader. Remember last week? He gets up. He has seen Jesus. I go out fishing. Next line. All the disciples, mob action, we go with you. So when you are strengthened, strengthen your brethren. It wasn't Peter's repentance. It was Jesus' intercession. Are you here? Peter knew that there was security backing me. Do you understand? Jesus looks at Peter and tells Peter, Come down. I have interceded for you. I got you. I got you. I got you. You deny me three times. It's okay. I got you. When you finish denying me, you will have strength to do ministry. And the Lord shut him in. Tell your neighbor, I've been shut in. You better say it to your neighbor like you mean it. Say, I've been shut in. I've been shut in. There ain't no way I'm coming out of this. Let me out. Let me out. I can't breathe in the earth. Let me out. I want the water. Let me out. The Lord shut in. And he that knows the end from the beginning tells you, my friend, shut up until your salvation is complete. You're not coming out. And you will see that when we talk about, maybe next week or the week after, when we talk about the power of the gospel, you understand it. They say, for the good, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Romans 1.16. For it's the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. Salvation there is beyond forgiveness of sins. That's why he's able to save to the uttermost. Or other translations say, he's able to keep saving and saving and saving until. That's the power of the gospel. That's why we're looking forward to the day of redemption. We have been redeemed, but we have not been redeemed. You see it. We have been redeemed waiting for redemption. We have been saved waiting for salvation. (laughs) And the Lord shot him in. Now you understand 
as I take on a, a, another important scripture that probably mess a lot of you up, that in that period of God calling Noah to say, build me an ark, it was actually God calling Noah to preach the gospel. Noah had a period of time from when God spoke until the flood came. I said to you earlier that when the text of scripture is misinterpreted, vital truth is lost. Let's go back to Genesis 6 and see verse 3. Actually, start from verse 1. Verse 1. Is anybody getting anything? Genesis 3 and verse 1. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth (laughs) and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men. I've talked about this before. That they were beautiful. So again, your beauty, Chidozi, has been from ages past. Yeah, if you are fine here, it's because your ancestors have been fine since. It's not my fault. My ancestors gave it to me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Beauty is in the gene of the ancestors. Put the text back up so I can go ahead. They saw the daughters of men that time, that age. That they were what? Beautiful. Can you imagine human girls being so fine that angels were jealous? If I say to you now, the louder your amen, sisters, the higher your beauty. May angels be attracted to your fineness. Now see verse 3. That's where the fun begins. Verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Christian religion has taught that in this statement, God declared that he was shortening the lifespan of humankind to 120. If you have heard that, believed it or preached it, put your hand up. Some of us still believe it. I respect your honesty. You just said it now. General notion. Their age, the number of their days, will be 120 years. He's indeed flesh. The word flesh is from the Hebrew word basar. P-B-A-S-A-R. Basar, and the confusion begins with the rendition of the word or the meaning or the context of the word basar. That's the word for flesh. Remember I told you we're going to come back to that word? In the Greek, the word is the word sarx, S-A-R-X. That's the word for flesh in the Greek. Don't forget the Old Testament was written in Aramic Hebrew, New Testament in Greek, and eventually the Old Testament as we have it now was retranslated from a Greek translation of the Old Testament called, I've taught you before, called the Septuagint, right? The Septuagint was Greek scholars taking old Hebrew or Aramic text and translating them into Greek because that was the global language order of the day. 
Does that make sense? So, so, so you look at Aramaic, which is an, an, an antique or antiquated language now, and you look at it in the terms of Greek, and see how Greek was rendered or how Greek rendered Hebrew when it was translated. Those two things work together, right? So that's why kabod for glory and, and dogza for glory mean the same thing. Make sense? Okay. So the word is basar, which is flesh. And there are many different um, uh, uh, contexts of the word flesh. The first one is the word life. Okay? Life. Genesis 6, 17. I said we'll come back to that, right? When Genesis 6, 3. Well, skip to verse 17. Genesis 6, 17. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven. Look at that. All flesh or all life. Contextually here. Make sense? So it means human life. It can also mean your physical body. Exodus 30 and 32. Go to verse 31. Let me see where the sentence begins. Find it. Go a, a, a verse behind. Okay. And you shall speak to the children of Israel saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil. To me, throughout your generations, thank God for light in this house. Look at that. It shall not be poured on man's flesh. Talking about your physical body. As that's the same word, basar. Are you here? It can also mean body parts, parts of your body. Genesis 17, 23. Same word, though. So when we're studying scripture, we must pay attention to renditions. We must pay attention to renditions. We must pay attention to renditions. Okay. When you're reading your Bible and you see flesh, don't assume flesh means meat or flesh means canal or flesh. You must just like the word faith, pistis, faitho. It is de determined by its usage. Does that make sense? Okay. So this same word basar for flesh can mean parts of your body. Okay. Genesis 17, 23. Genesis 17.23 Genesis 17.23 Is it on there? So Abraham took Ishmael his son and all who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house and circumcised the flesh of their four skins that very same day. As painful as it sounded when I said it now that's how painful it was when it happened. Because it's really, really, really flesh. That they chopped off. Hello? Not spiritual flesh. Do you understand now? <laughs> Not carnality. Are you here? Actual flesh of their foreskins. Flesh can also mean family. Genesis 37 27. Genesis 37 27. Let's go from verse 26 for context. I need verse 37, but let's go from, from 26 rather. So Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? This is when they were trying to figure out what to do with Joseph. Now see verse 27. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother and flesh here is not our body part. It's not our life. Are you following me now? It's not our body. Flesh in this context is, is our family. Now, I haven't looked at the other translations, but let's see the NLT, for instance. Or the message. 
NLT says, instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. Make sense? The message, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, but let's not kill him. He is, after all, our brother, our own flesh and blood. So flesh there is referring to family. It cannot refer to anything else. Contextually. Make sense now? But sour flesh can also mean meat. Hello? Exodus 16 and 3. Exodus 16 and 3. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the pot of meat, the word meat there is the word basar, which is the word flesh. How does the old King James put this verse? That second slide. I, I've not checked it, but let's see. Beautiful. See that? Flesh pot. Meat. Flesh. Contextually, it cannot mean anything else here. Same word. See why Bible study takes time? Because how will you understand scripture without losing vital truths if you don't explain and interpret it correctly? And it takes time. It can also mean what is pure. Basar, same word in the Hebrew. Can mean what is pure and yielded. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. See the problem with understanding the scriptures sometimes without patience. Somebody can just take one scripture and start to preach out of context. See what God says. Then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh. Same word. Two uses meaning different things in the same verse. I will take the stony hearts out of their life. Because this is not talking about heart transplant. <laughs> Are you here? It's not talking about heart transplant. I will take the stony heart out of their body. And I will now give them heart of Flesh, heart of meat, because your current heart is made of stone. We'll now do surgery, remove your heart of stone, and I'll give you heart of meat. That's not what he's saying here. He says, I will take stony heart out of their basar, their body, or their life. Figuratively. That thing that makes you resist God. That thing that makes you, every time the word comes, the word hits you, hits you, hits you, and Odeshi doesn't move anything. You will try and try and try and try. You are not moved. You are like Mount Zion that cannot be moved. That thing that makes you resist revelation and light in your life, Basar, I will take it out. And I will give you the ability to receive and comprehend the things of the spirit. I will give you a soft heart. A heart that is receptive. Figuratively speaking. Not really flesh meat. Because your current heart is made of meat. It's not made of stone. Hello. The wickedest person in this room right now and watching it. No. Has a heart of meat. Hello. All the wickedness, all the people have not forgiven today. It didn't turn your heart to stone. You understand? That's why we, you saw them prophetically putting microphone in somebody's heart. 
so we can so we can hear the beating of the heart because heart of stone do not beat amen heart of stone do not we will not put microphone for your heart of stone you will not hear anything are you following me now so contextually here then I will take out resistance from your life and I will give you receptability because how do you not think that he's saying God is saying I will give you a heart of carnality I will give you a heart of another person I will give you the heart of the whole world life, mankind so contextually the same word basar changes according to usage make sense? look at Ezekiel 36 and 26 for another example of that which is pure and yielded I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you see that? I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Are you receiving understanding? So this same flesh, depending on usage, can mean good. This same flesh, depending on usage, can mean bad. Same flesh, depending on usage, can be botanical or biological. Same flesh can be figurative or spiritual. And so the word also, and sometimes it might just be in one or two or three occasions that the word changes to that particular context. Does that make sense? For instance, contending earnestly for the faith that was once delivered to the saints in the book of Jude. Faith there is doctrine. Sound doctrine. Does that make sense? And it's the only time where you see in Paul's letters where he talks about con- in those words contending for the faith. Does that make sense? When it says fight the good fight of faith, there is referring to stand fast to your conviction. Faith there becomes persuasion, not necessarily doctrine. Then when it says in 1 Corinthians 12 that to one, to some, are giving the gift of faith. Faith there is a spiritual gift that enables someone to believe for the impossible. And not the ingredient by which you are saved. Because if it's how you are saved, it cannot be given to some. As we see in Ephesians 2 and 8, by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. Faith there is God's saving ability. Not a gift of the spirit. Not persuasion. Not doctrine. Same word faith. Different usage according to context. Different context according to usage. And sometimes it might just be in one occasion where the word takes on that variant. Does that make sense? Last usage of the word flesh is in, and we're all familiar with this, is in reference to it being something carnal, material, corrupt, or impure. When that contrasts with spirit. Amen? When that contrasts with spirit. Are we here? Now, Let's get back to Genesis 6, verse 1. Let's use the exegesis we have just learned. And look at Genesis 6, verse 3 again. And determine what it is that you see. Genesis 6 and verse 1. Let's go from verse 1 for context. It's beautiful. Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth. Follow this carefully. And daughters were born to them. That the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all who they chose. Keep, 
keep going. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. We'll come back to this. Keep going to verse 5. Yet his days shall be 120 years. Problem. There were giants on the earth in those days. And also afterwards of those days. When the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. This is referring to verse 2. So the matter is still being talked about. Because these same words were used just now in verse 2. Sons of God saw women were beautiful, took them to wives, right? Now they were giants. In those days and afterwards, when sons of God came into daughters of men and they bore children to them. Keep going. Those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. See verse 5, please, carefully. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intent, stay here carefully, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. See verse 5 again. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart, his being mankind, was only evil and evil continually. Now go back to verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. What could flesh mean here? Contextually. Does God have a problem with man being human? As though God did not know that man was human? So God goes, Ah, see, oh, man is indeed a human being. I didn't realize how human man was all along. Contextually, what would it mean when it says indeed man is flesh? Evil, carnal, wayward, wicked. What? Do you agree? Even though your Bible says flesh, how about amplified version? Genesis 6.3. For you think power is crazy. The Lord said, my spirit shall not strive and remain with man forever. Look at this. Because he is indeed flesh. Open. Amplified takes down to explain the context of flesh. In this text, sinful. Corrupt. Given over to sensual appetites. So sir, am I correct or right? So you see, that, that, that everybody believes something doesn't make it right. So when I see people arguing and trying to prove that they know you don't want to learn, I'm sorry for you. Because we never stop learning. Basar here means corrupt, materialistic, driven by sensual needs, not that he's human. God could not have been surprised or the thing oh man is see oh man is a human being really really oh my god oh my god it's human so now we understand what flesh there means Genesis 6 3 so man is corrupt man is carnal man is because that's what it goes on to verse 5 to say 
That's consistent with verse 1 and 5. Man is carnal. Therefore, his days shall be 120 years. Man shall live for only 120 years because he is corrupt. Hmm? That's what you believe now. You have changed that quickly. I'm not going to explain what it is. No, but first of all, first of all, calm down. Hmm? Calm down. This is Noah, Abi. God is saying mankind will only live 120 years. Yeah? Genesis chapter 8. Let the fun begin. Genesis chapter 8, verse 13. Are you there? Genesis 8, 13, quickly. Now in the 601st year of Noah's life, New King James, he, the flood ended on Noah's 601st birthday. Okay? When the flood ended, after that 40 days, when Noah came out of the ark, how old was he? It's around one. First day of the month, first day of the month that the waters were dried up from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the earth was dry. See chapter 9 and verse 29. <laughs> Genesis 9, 29. Look at this, please. So Noah lives another 350 years after the flood. Right? And you say, well, uh, you know, it was not Noah that God said he would live for 120 years. It was mankind. No, no, don't, don't use your brain. Don't use your brain. Resist the urge to use your brain. Let's use the scriptures. It's more fun. Genesis 11 and verse 10. I read you about 22 scriptures just purely for fun to spoil somebody's theology. This is way after the flood. Way after the flood, Godwin. Genesis 11 and 10. This is the genealogy of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and begot Aphaxad two years after the flood. Somebody say after the flood. After he begot Aphaxad, Shem lived 500 years. Please give me NLT. I don't have time for be God, be God, be God, be God right now. Give me NLT. Next verse. When Aphaxad was 35 years old, he became the father of Shelah. After the birth of Shelah, Aphaxad lived another. Next verse. Shelah was 30, became the father of Eber. After he gave birth to Eber, Shelah lived another. Next verse. When Eber was 34 years old, he became the father of Peleg. After the birth of Peleg, Eber lived another. 18. God said that man will not live more than 120 years, right? Okay. When Peleg was 30 years old, he became the father of Reu. After the birth of Reu, Peleg lived another 209 years and had sons and daughters. Next verse. After the birth of Serug, Reu lived another 207 years and had sons and daughters. Next verse, 32. After the birth of Nahor, Serug lived another 200 years and had other sons and daughters. Keep going. After the birth of Terah, Nahor, that's Abraham's father, lived another nine, 119 years and had sons and daughters. Keep going. And Terah was 70 years old. He became the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. 
This is the account of Terah's family. Keep going. He gave her to her and Lord. Keep going. Okay, 29. 20, 29. Meanwhile, Abraham and Nahor both married. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Milcah and her sister Iscar were daughters of Nahor's brother, Haran. But Sarai was unable to become pregnant and had no children. One day, Terah took his son Abraham and daughter-in-law Sarai, his son's wife, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. 32 in the last verse. Terah, Abraham's father, lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. So there's already a major problem to the theology of the fact that God said man will no longer live more than 120 because every single of these verses now made that God a liar. Disobeying God's word. So how did we arrive at this nonsense? Take one scripture because somebody said. So what was God saying in Genesis 6-3? I'm calling you. I'm letting you know how corrupt man is. I'm calling you to build an ark, 17 and 18. Man is corrupt. The timeline I'm giving you for building this ark is 120 years. At the end of 120 years, I will destroy the earth. And only those who believe will be saved. I'm tired of striving with man. The word strive in the Hebrew is the word judge. I'm, I don't, I'm tired of constantly walking in pain with you. I'm constantly looking at your sin and your iniquity and not doing anything about it. I have set a 120 year time frame to deal with it. So from now that I'm speaking to you, Noah, from now until when I judge sin and save those who will believe, the time frame for that is 120 years. Had nothing to do with man's mortality. What will God gain by shortening human lifespan when it cannot inherit eternal life? How is that judgment? People are easily living for 900 years. And they are still human. So God shortening your lifespan to 120 does what? Then you start to look at translations. I don't know which ones you have. Put six and three up. Who has the NET? Okay, I want you to see it in your Bible. Let me have a microphone quickly. NET, Genesis 6, 3. <laughs> so the Lord said, My spirit will not remain in humankind indefinitely, since they are mortal. They will remain for 120 more years. Read that last line again. They will remain... For 120 more years. Does that make sense now? Is that clear now? The time span I'm allowing this nonsense to continue. Before I fix it. It's 120 years. So now, start to build. I mean to say, start to preach. Because these guys have 120 years to hear this gospel and choose whether or not they want to believe. So you see, what God was sending on the earth, hear me, was not destruction, was salvation. Do you understand what I just said? What God was sending on the earth in Noah's time was not destruction. 
was salvation. Destruction is the absence of salvation for those who do not believe. I repeat. Destruction is the absence of salvation for those who do not believe. It is the flip side for someone who chose to not believe. Not something that God creates. Who understood what I just said now? God creates. He is the author of salvation. Which is also rendered the author of our faith. And the finisher. He's not the author of destruction. Destruction is the absence of salvation for the person who did not believe. God does not have to create destruction. Destruction is just the absence of salvation. Before you misinterpret God, because he's a father of lights, James says, in whom there's no variableness. No, don't get to shadow yet. Don't rush this thing. There is no variableness in God. He's not oscillating. He's not vacillating. He's not shaky. He's not inundating. He is his. There's no variableness. With God, what you see is what you get. And because of that, there's no shadow of turning. You understand that now? So he, do, he cannot offer salvation and confusion at the same time. That would be him being variable. Are you here now? He offers salvation. And those who enter it are safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Where is safety? In the name of the Lord. Where is danger? Outside the name. You are, you are after safety in the name. Security in the name. Preservation in the name. Protection in the name. Outside the name, you cannot get outside the name what is only available in the name. So the story of Noah was the gospel being preached. What God gave the earth was salvation. The refusal or rejection of which brought about destruction. So when God is saying, I will destroy the earth with a flood, he's not him judging the earth. Hear me carefully. It is him informing the earth of the consequences of rejecting salvation. Because you will not believe Noah, the earth will be destroyed. Because the ark, and don't ask me how, would have been large enough to accommodate the whole world if the whole world had believed. (laughs) 
Because God gives him specific dimensions for how to build. Because he knew at the end of the day how many will believe. He foreknew. It's a salvation story. It's the gospel. So Noah had 120 years to preach. Every nail that went into the ark was a word of scripture being proclaimed. The day of the Lord's salvation is coming. Every wood that was cut, every tree, it was an epitome and a type. It was a tangible proof that God is mighty to save. Have anybody watched Ever and Almighty? From Bruce Almighty? The whole city plus the mayor enters the ship. They had no clue what was even going on. They just decided to believe Bruce. They just, just, just believe at the very last minute. They run into it. So every time he's there, 120 years. Why 120 years? Because the Lord is long-suffering, slow to anger, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So Peter says that the long-suffering of God brings patience. Patience brings salvation. So Noah is there laboring and preaching. What we are building is the salvation of anyone who will believe. Second Peter 2 and 5. Go back. In fact, start from verse 1. Let me deal with it. Let me deal with another difficult verse of scripture now. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, and, and bring on themselves swift destruction. Next verse. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Verse 3. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. Verse 4. But if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness, hell... Sheol. Not fire. Because they are in chains of darkness, not chains of fire. Angels that have ceased to exist are being stored up in the place of the dead until you get up in your resurrected body and judge them. Let's continue. To be reserved for judgment, he was five. Okay, see now here, this is where the fun is. And did not spare the ancient world. Ancient world. But saved Noah. One of eight people. Bringing in the flood of the world of the ungodly. No righteous man was affected. Because I repeat, the righteous run into the name of the Lord. So bringing is unfortunate that the world was the majority. Does that make sense? But God did not touch his own. 
Noah, a preacher of righteousness. Now, if Noah built the ark immediately and then boom, entered it, then what Jesus said in Luke 17 would be a problem. Because Luke 17, Jesus begins to show you what was going on in the days of Noah. Let's go there. <laughs> Luke 17. Preacher of righteousness. Remember that, yeah? 120 years. Remember that, yeah? Okay, now let's go to, to Luke 17. Round about, round about 24. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. 25. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by his generation. And as it was. First of all, what Jesus is about to describe, the Jews knew. He's not about to introduce a new concept. Now, it might not be in Genesis to Malachi, but the Jews knew. From oral tradition, from other writings, and there were men that wrote, there's the Talmud, there's books on Bible history in Bible times. From all those things, Jesus knew that they knew what he was about to say. Are you here? He says in them to, to them in verse 26, as it was in the day of Noah, so will it also be in the days of the Son of Man. So you see, the days of Noah were a type and shadow of the days of the Son of Man. And then colon there, he's about to explain to you what was happening in the days of Noah. Next verse. For in that day they ate, they drank, married wives were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark over that period of 120 years. And the flood came and destroyed them all. You see that? First Peter, I don't have this here. And I wonder why. It was just dropped in my heart. First Peter, chapter 3, from verse 18, we'll go all the way to verse. 20 or 21. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. See that? In the flesh. Physically. Not in corruption. <laughs> but made alive by the Spirit, by whom he also went and preached the spirits in prison, who were formerly disobedient, when the one's divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. I would deal with this someday. Because it's one of the most difficult questions of scripture to interpret. People think that Jesus went to hell and preached to some spirits. If he preached to them, who would have heard Jesus preach in hell and not repent? But when a person is regenerated, what do they receive? The spirit of God. Right? In order to, oh man, I said I'll teach you later. You know how the scripture says that there's a spirit in man. But it is the Spirit of God that gives him understanding. So spirit can refer to, interchangeably sometimes, can refer to the soul of a person. Sometimes. Jesus went to preach to the spirits of those in prison. Does not necessarily have to mean literally. He went to one prison and preached to some spirits. When you are receiving God's word, it's your soul 
that receives it. A person that is dead is dead because their spirit is not of God. Does that make sense? Uh, Pastor Takim, you know that the scripture says that we have received not the spirit of this world. That is to say, there is a spirit of this world that Paul says, walketh in the children. So, the gospel is being preached to spirits. doesn't necessarily mean celestial beings without bodies. Can be, should be referring to humans in whom the spirit of this world is working, who are in chains because that's what happened to us until faith came. We're in prison, bound in sin. In the days of Noah. What qualifies that interpretation is that this narrative of 1 Peter 3 is taking place in the days of Noah. 1 Peter 3 started. Give me, I don't know. I don't know. CTPT maybe. I've not seen it. Christ suffered and died for sins once and for all, the innocent for the guilty, to bring you near to God by his body being put to death and by being raised to life by the Spirit. He went into the spiritual realm and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison because of their disobedience long ago. For during the time of Noah, God patiently waited until the ark was being prepared. But only a few were brought safely through the flood waters, a total of eight souls. We must look at that statement in the light of its time frame. And its time frame is in the days of Noah. And there's no other place that suggests that Jesus went to hell to preach. Because it's appointed unto men once to die and then judgment. Dead folks don't repent. So what are you preaching to a dead person in the grave? To benefit him how? Because if, if you are saying with the same mouth that once you die, you are a hopeless case. There isn't the same mouth to preach that people died. Jesus went to preach to them in the grave. Then how come you are making me feel like if I die in sin, that's the end? How can, you be, how can one mouth be bringing bitter and sweet fountains? Die, do, do, repent now before you die. If you die, because once you die, it's too late. Once you die, that's the end. It's final. If you sleep now and you close your eyes, you don't wake up. Because that's the end. There's no, there's no repentance in the grave. Who has heard that statement? If there's no repentance in the grave, what was Jesus doing preaching there? Jesus should come and explain to us. And then I've heard other theologians say, very interesting, that he just went to show them, look, I got the victory. I died. I rose. And I'd be like, what kind of Petty Jesus is that. I'm alive. You are dead. I rose. You're gonna be judged by my children. 
the only show of the victory of Jesus is carrying Alexander Victor on the street. 2 Corinthians 2.14 Leading me in triumph as triumphs, as trophies of his victory. That is the only victory parade in scripture about what Jesus did. The only victory parade on record is the one of him using me to boast. Ephesians 2.10 For I am his workmanship. His craftsmanship. Remember when I explained that to you with this guitar? I am his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So if you want to ask Christ, what did he produce? He doesn't say, look at the trees, the flowers, the flowers on the trees. He says, look at my son. That's my workmanship. Let's use the Nigerian context. Not devils. So if it was in the days of Noah, and Noah was a preacher of righteousness, then to explain that scripture would be to say that God was in Christ preaching to the lost souls who were in sin in the days of Noah. Does that make sense? Spirits will refer to the spirits of men in whom the spirit of this world dwells because they are children of disobedience that Jesus in Noah is preaching to them because they are in chains or they are bound or they are lost in sin, imprisoned by sin. Such that Noah was preaching by the unction of Jesus. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Because he was called a preacher of righteousness. And righteousness does not come except through Jesus. That means Noah saw, I was about to say it, and then I remembered Hebrews 11. By faith, Noah. Verse 7. By faith, Noah. Faith where? Which is in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Do you understand? Yes. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not seen yet, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world. Do you see that? Destruction being the absence of salvation. By which he condemned the world. See the next line. And became an heir of Malago Shevradahada, of the righteousness which is according to faith. So, no, I'm not preaching mysteries. Noah saw Jesus. So, every hammer, every nail, every rivet, every joint was him telling them, I have seen he who saves. Come with me. Come with me. The moment somebody has said, I'm with you, God will have spoken and said, increase it by 10 cubits. Add one more cabin. And we would have kept nailing and nailing until it it will turn out that there's more people than any ark can even carry. Instead of destroying the world and saving eight, now it looks like only eight do not believe. Well, he was a preacher of righteousness because he saw Jesus. Righteousness is according to faith, which is in Christ Jesus. 
Don't think of righteousness apart from Christ. So when Noah was called a preacher of righteousness, he was called a preacher of the one who brings or is righteousness. So you could easily look at Noah and tag him a grace preacher. Because here's how it starts in chapter 6 of Genesis. Noah found what? Grace. Noah found what? Grace. What else could he have been preaching? Are you here? So he had 120 years to do what? To build the ark, preach the gospel. Remember we're saying that the gospel has been heard from ages past. Because it is relevant for all ages. Are you here? Can you take a little more? <laughs> Let's leave Noah. Has this helped anybody? He has set straight a lot of theological error about Noah. And about 120 years. You see, I, I, don't like, I don't like not knowing scripture. Because I don't like not having an answer. For somebody, there's people that have insulted God because of our ignorance, because of our confusion. Do you understand? You pick one scripture, you ignore the verse before it, ignore the verse after it, ignore the chapter, ignore the context, and you're walking around saying, Man only lives for 120 years. Is the unbeliever the atheist that will open chapter 11 for you and show you? And that's why I've told you there's a way I teach, I will preempt the questions. You know, I will say, if this is what it means, then how does it answer to these other things? How does it work in these other things? And I begin to look, and the Spirit of God shows me the answers. Because it's there in Scripture. Yes, how will you be making noise that God says you can live for 120 years? And in chapter 11, you see so many people blowing it and leaving it in the dust. How do you explain that? It cannot mean that. If not that somebody was lazy with Bible interpretation. Genesis 12. You know we stopped in chapter 11 where we saw the genealogy of people that lived above 120? Genesis 12. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Let's start to look at Abraham. That's what we left off in Genesis 11, remember? With Terah dying. Yeah, Abraham. And you've seen that so far from Genesis right through till 11 is the gospel. One message. Garden of Eden. Out of Garden of Eden, you come into the genealogies, uh, 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 Shem, not Shem, uh, Seth, Enoch in chapter 4, right? Men began to call upon the Lord in the days of Seth. Goes on, Lamech, the first guy to have two wives. Yeah, Enoch walked with God and was not. I've explained that in this house before. Maybe someday I will explain it again. You know, that goes into chapter 5, and then we arrived at chapter 6 with Noah, right? Noah takes us from chapter 6 right through to post-flood in chapter 9, right through to the genealogies in chapter 11. We are now in Genesis 12. And just before we enter Abraham, you have seen his name mentioned in Genesis 11 as the son of Terah. So far, one message. One message. Chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to, the, to a land that I will show you. Verse 2. 
I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. Verse 3. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 7. Verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And yes, Israel comes to mind as a people and as a place, but more so, Pav comes to mind. And the land being the kingdom, eternal life, immortality. And I'll show you very shortly where Paul explains in Romans chapter 9 that it's not Israelites that are children of Abraham. He, he, do, you understand? He, do, you, do you understand the importance of that statement? That in the days of Jesus, Jews are standing and saying, Our father Abraham, our father Abraham, our father Abraham, and then you come and hear. That is not the people that are connected to Abraham by Abraham's blood are his children. <laughs> he, do you understand? That's the exclamation to use. He, not according to genetics, not according to biology, but according to covenant. So his descendants here was not referring to Israel as the physical people, but just as a token and a type of us who are heirs according to the promise. Hmm. So to your descendants, verse 7, pay attention on chapter 12 and verse 7 of Genesis. To your descendants was referring to you. I will give this land. Because Abraham died not having received it. For he sought a kingdom, a city, whose builder and founder is God. That's why Abraham never built a structure with concrete. When you build with concrete, you don't intend to move it. It's permanent. So Hebrews 11 says, by faith Abraham dwelt in tents. He was a rich man. Never built a mansion, never built a castle. Dwelt in tents. Get up, commot it, keep going. Because what I'm looking for, I've not seen. Yes. What was he looking for? A city whose builder and founder is God. Isaac was built, moving from place to place, building wells, digging wells. Built the first one, namely Essek. They fought with him with it for it. For it. The Philistines, he left it, went and built another one. They called it Sit, he called it Sitna. They came and fought again with him for the well and the water. He left it and went and built another one and called it Rehoboth. And then he says, ah, now God has made room for me in the land because nobody fought with him for that one. And you say you have reached your Rehoboth. The next verse says, Abraham, Isaac left there. So if that was his final bus stop, why did he leave? Genesis 26. Our allegiance is to the scriptures. 17. 26, 17. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent to the valley of Gerah and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For his, the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. 
He called them by the names which his father had called them. Also, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the headsman of Gerah quarreled with Isaac's headsman, saying, What is ours? So he called the name of the well Essek, because they quarreled with him. Then he dug another well and quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Setna. And then he moved from there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it. So he called his name Rehoboth. For he said, For now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. 23. So why will you move from Rehoboth? I'm sorry that I read my Bible and understand. Or am I sorry? Because if Rehoboth is the land of Rome, final boss stop. Why did he move? From where the Lord had made room. Because he sought a city. Builder and founder. That's why he, Isaac, could not have been the son of promise. He was looking for the promise. He was chasing the promise. He too died, according to Hebrews 11, not having obtained the promise. He didn't get it. Are you here? So descendants are not referring to Jews. I am that descendant. Let's continue. Genesis 13. (laughs) Verses 15 to 16. Genesis 13, 15 to 16. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. 16. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants could also be numbered. There's a problem if that, as I said earlier, has to do with Israel, because we can count them. If we put the numbers together, sir, they are not the sons on the seashore. Do you understand what I'm saying? But there's an undisputed fact. There are more sons of God now. And many more have been brought into glory. Many more have been brought into glory. Many more have been brought into glory. Many more. Mm-hmm. Genesis 15, 1 to 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go child? Remember, I showed you this that Abram never asked God for a child. What will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Then Abraham said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir. But one who will come from your own body and you would think he was Isaac. Ayaba. 
But one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Five. Then he brought him outside and said, Now look toward heaven and count the stars if you can number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, not in the Lord's promise of a child. He believed the gospel. This is what Galatians, Galatians 3.8. Galatians 3.8 refers to. And it says scripture. Seeing that God will justify the Gentiles through faith. Scripture. Preach the gospel to Abraham saying. In you all the nations shall be blessed. So when Abraham heard that. What did he hear? The gospel. The gospel. The gospel. In you. See 21. Genesis 21. We're in 21 now. We're in Genesis 21 now. I'm showing you. And we can just keep going through scripture like that. Genesis 21 and 12. Genesis 21 and 12. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad, referring to Ishmael, or because of your bondwoman, referring to Hagar. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Isaac is not the seed, sir. (laughs) Are you getting it? (laughs) In Isaac, that promise I gave you. That it was you. No, no. It's it's not even Isaac. You just come from Isaac. In Isaac shall your seed be called. So in other words, Isaac has to keep dropping this thing until it comes to the seed that I talked about. Isaac is not the seed. But in his lineage. I'm trying not to go ahead of myself. But God was telling Abraham, this salvation that is coming, this Jesus... There's no way, there's no way he will come through Ishmael. There's no way a bond woman's son, son of works, son of flesh, son of effort, because it was effort that brought about Ishmael. God promised, God spoke to Sarah. And she said, carry Ishmael, carry Hagar now. Maybe I can get a child through her. Works. Somebody trying to help God fulfill his word. Because God that promised it is not powerful enough to fulfill it without human help. So let's help him small. And Ishmael came. And God was reminding Abraham, sir, it's not from Ishmael. Nobody will help me in this one. There will be no human participation in this one. It's from Isaac. Isaac will continue the lineage until he gets to the son. Are you here now? 21 and 12, right? 24 and 7. We're in Genesis 24 now. 24, 7. Sounds nice, isn't it? 24, 7. The God of heaven, Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house 
and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, to your descendants I give this land. This was Abraham telling Eliezer when he sent him to get a wife for Isaac. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. The Lord who swore to me, saying to your descendants. Abraham repeated it to Eliezer. That's what Paul then takes in Galatians 3. And begins to expound from verse 6. I read you verse 8. But let's see verse 6. Galatians 3. Galatians 3, 6. Just as Abraham believed God. Hmm? Believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Did not, not Abraham believed God could give him a child. I've told you over and over. Believing for a miracle does not qualify you for righteousness. Because if that's the case, everybody that received any miracle has received righteousness. So wasn't Abraham believed God could give him a beginning? No, Abraham believed God. The God he saw. The gospel he heard. Are you there? Six, going to verse seven. Verse seven. See, the, that's the, the, the pretext. Therefore, no. You, no. Only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Only those who are of faith. Not those who are of works and certainly not those who are of the law. Only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham for the scriptures. That's how we get into verse 8. Foreseeing. That God will justify the Gentiles by faith so they can become what? Sons of Abraham. As in verse 7. Go on to verse 7. Only those who are faith are what? Sons of Abraham. Faith. If in verse 8, God is justifying the Gentiles by faith. What does being justified by faith make them? Sons of Abraham. So when God said, in thy seed, the nations shall be blessed. What did Abraham hear and believe? Somehow God is going to save the universe of their sins and give them salvation. And righteousness which is in Christ Jesus. And even now I believe. This is the day. Stay with me. That Jesus referred to when he told the Pharisees. Your fathers Abraham longed to see my day. He saw it and was glad. It was this day that Jesus was referring to. So again, I poke a hole in the theology of those of you that probably do not believe that Jesus Christ is, existed as the word before he became incarnate. Why would he stand and tell him, he said, before your father Abraham longed to see my day. My day, not the father's day. He saw it and was glad. And then he said, are you even equating yourself with Abraham? Jesus made it worse. He said, before Abraham was, I am and I've explained to you last week I am that I am that appeared to Moses and the children of Israel that I am is who I am I am Woo! Woo! 
So he had no problem walking around and saying, I am, okay, in this case, bread of life. I am, oh, Lazarus is dead, resurrection and life. I am, oh, some, some, some sheep are lost, in this case, good shepherd. I am, uh, there's no access to the Father, I am the way. I am, uh, there's, there's only, only windows and fences, I am the door. I, I am, happening upon every need happening upon every demand happening upon every occasion he shows up and says i am and even now i declare over your situation over your circumstance over your sickness over that difficulty in the name of jesus the lord says to tell you i am Seats. Oh, hallelujah. John 8 56. You see that? John 8 56. Oh, thank you, Father. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. That was the day that Abraham saw the day. Are you here now? That was the day Abraham saw the day. And believed the Lord. Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Christ Jesus. And he heard the gospel and believed the Lord. Because the scripture preached the gospel to him. And when he heard the gospel. Who is the gospel about? Christ Jesus. Who did he believe? The Lord. Who is the Lord? Christ Jesus. When he believed the Lord. What was the consequence? Righteousness. Same old message. I've told you over and over. Don't let the noise deceive you. It's the lie that is new generation. It's the lie that's a new generation message. All the law and work churches. Those are the new generation churches. <laughs> this is ancient truth. There's never been another message. Never. See how they respond in the next verse. You're not even 50 years old. Please put it up, 57. Then the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. Please, how does TPT put this scripture? TPT and message have a way of putting these kind of things. But the men usually just doubted him and said, what are you talking about? You're not even 50 years old. You talk like you've seen Abraham. Stay here in verse 57. Give us the message. The Jews said, you're not even 50 years old. And Abraham saw you. Abraham saw you. Not 50. <laughs> See verse 58 for the bomb. See the, just skip to the I am. See how in capital it is. It wasn't Jesus identifying 
himself and claiming that I, Jesus, have been as old as Abraham. No, it's him telling the Pharisees, that person, that God, you think you know as I am. I am. I am. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. See Galatians 3.16. <laughs> Galatians 3.16 through to 18. I'll leave Abraham for a bit and move on. Galatians 3. Now unto Abraham and his seed where the promise is made. He does not say unto your seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed. Who is Christ? 17. And this I say. That the law. Which was 430 years later. So who is the new, the new kid on the block? The law. The promise came first. And this law that was given 430 years later. Cannot annul the covenant Hold up. Shh. That was confirmed before by God. Where? 430 years before the law. The covenant had been confirmed by God in Christ. Before Jesus even came. <laughs> so when I ask you what, what you call New Testament is Old Testament what you call Old Testament is the New Testament so what we are calling now the covenant of grace is a reversal to the actual Old Testament that the Lord that was given did not cancel and that one was confirmed by God inside Christ See so where I can stand and say, I am. I am. Because God gives visibility in Christ Jesus. He gets visibility in Christ. Christ is all the God we can see. The law which was given 430 years later cannot annul the covenant which was confirmed by God in Christ 430 years before the law. Before the law. That they should make the covenant a promise of no effect. Verse 18. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham, not by the law. So who did Abraham see when he heard the promise? Because Christ is the promise. This is the promise. And God confirmed it in Christ. Way before the law. We leave Abraham. We go into Isaac, his son, with Ishmael, as types of law and grace. You see that? I've spoken about that already. You see that again in Galatians 4. I'll come to that in a bit. Maybe not today, maybe next week. Again, you see them two covenants. <laughs> you see Esau and Jacob. This is us almost finishing Genesis. Because we're getting to chapter 37 now of Genesis. You see Esau and Jacob. Types of law and grace. Again. You see that in Romans 9 mentioned 
clearly. I spoke about that a few weeks ago, about Esau and Jacob. Esau, have I hated? Jacob, have I loved? Romans chapter 9, just for added emphasis. Romans 9, verse 6 to 9, verse 69. Romans 9, 69. <laughs> now, look at this juice. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Please give me NLT. So some people can understand it better. Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No. For not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Then born you Israelites, so what? Abraham is your botanical uncle. So what? Do you understand? Biological is not enough. It's your botanical. We have the direct lineage of Abraham. So what? Put it back up and let's continue. Next verse. We're going all the way to verse 9. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scripture says, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Though Abraham had other children too, namely Ishmael and others. Anybody that came through anywhere else, it's not a shy. Next verse, verse 8. It gets juicier. That means, look at this, that means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. For God had promised, I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah, Isaac, we believing by faith in the seed of Abraham through Isaac, us becoming descendants of God. You get it? Galatians 4 then brings it home nicely. Galatians 4, 21 to 31. You understand the difference between Isaac and Ishmael? Yeah. And choose ye this day where you belong. You who want to live under the law. No, I want to get the attention of those people first before we continue. Because Paul doesn't say this as a compliment. He says this derisively. Tell me you who want to live under the law. Do you know what the law actually says? So you want to claim law, right? Let me show you what to claim. Go on. That's, that's the premise. The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons. One from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in in a human attempt to bring about You see how clear it is? A human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own. 
God's own fulfillment of his promise. He didn't need you, sir. You want to keep the law? Do you not know what the law says? I love Paul. I love his legal sense of argument for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. My God. This is his own fulfillment of his promise. Go on to 24. Keep going. These two women serve as illustrations of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. Mount Sinai. Pay attention. That's why I'm ending today. Mount Sinai. And now in Jerusalem, where you are going for pilgrimage, it's just like Mount Sinai. Go back to 24. Don't rush it. Go back to 24. 24. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. Go on. The first woman, Hagar, represents where? Where? People receive the Lord that enslaved them. Okay. And Jerusalem. Go back 25. You're going back. You should go forward. Now Jerusalem is just like that, that, that Sinai in Arabia. Because she, Jerusalem, and her children, everyone who believes in her, live in slavery to the Lord. Next verse. I didn't write it. So you can't shoot the messenger. Right? But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. <laughs> she's a free woman. And I don't know about you, but she's my mother. Najib on me. 27. And Isaiah said, Rejoice, O childless woman. And you who have never given birth. See, look at it. It's okay that works is doing stuff around you. It's, it's, it's okay that Elkanah hugs Penina and she gets pregnant. It's okay. It's okay that Isaac just sleeps in the same bed with Leah and she gets pregnant. It's okay that stuff around you seems to be happening with people's effort and it is producing results. God does it that in your case, the excellency. your neighbor, it doesn't matter how many children Penina has. <laughs> Penina can have a liter of children for all I care. It doesn't matter. Leah can give birth to ten sons for all I care. It doesn't matter. Because this one, it is of the Lord's own fulfillment. He's not involved. So now let's share credit. You, 30%. God, 70%. Okay, no, God. Okay, I remember one other thing you did. It's okay. So your own is like 72%, mine is 28%. No, no, no. He's not, he's not involved. He's not involved. 
also rejoice if you don't <laughs> Sit down, let me finish it so we can, we can get out of here. Put the thing back for me on the screen. Rejoice, oh childless woman. You who have never given birth. One message for all ages. One message. One message. All ages, one message. One message. I will come back to Galatians 4.27. Give me Hosea 11 and verse 1. Let me tease you a little bit. So one, you can be awake. Two, you can follow this, this, this series until we finish. Hosea 11 and verse 1. Put it up for me very quickly on the screen. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt. I called my son. The boy was two. They sent him to Egypt. When Herod died, the angel showed up to Joseph in Egypt and said, now the guy that wanted Jesus dead is dead. Now out of Egypt. Matthew comes and quotes this in chapter 2. And says for that it might be fulfilled what was written in Hosea out of Egypt. I call my son. Whether or not Hosea did not know who the son was, it's not my problem, sir. We know. We know. I don't know about when Galatians 4 and 27. So let's go back there. It's one message for all ages. Think of a day when I'll be tired of preaching this gospel. It's not possible. It's not possible. It's not possible. 27. Rejoice, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into a joyful shout, you who have never been in labor. See this next line. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. 28. And you? Their brothers and sisters are children of the promise just like Isaac. 29. But now you are being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law. Just as Ishmael, the child born by human just as the one born of human effort persecuted Isaac the child born by the power (laughs) born by human effort subjugating the work of the son born by the spirit of God so you see why some of us are not moved you are just replaying an old script. Old script. Old script. Old script, new actors. Old script, new actors. Old script, new actors. Old script, new actors. The moment Ishmael started to grow, he began to become a thorn in the flesh of Isaac. To the point where Sarah had to intervene and chase her away. Yes, yes, 
carry your son, go away. So you want to come and keep my promised land? That's exactly what's happening today. Ishmael is watching Isaac step into the promise. Ishmael will not have it. He's going to put up a fight against Israel. You choose who you are. Art thou Ishmael or art thou Isaac? As for me, Jerusalem is not my mother. Sit down, put the verse up, let's finish. I need to get all the way to, to verse 31. So put back up that verse where we are. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son. For the son of the slave woman will not share, we're not sharing inheritance with the free woman's son. We will come back here. Hit me with Romans 11 and verse 6. I love it. We're going to come back here. But let, let's so you can see Romans 11, 6. Do we have it in the NLT? 11 and 6. For since it is through God's kindness, then it is not by their works. For in that case, God's grace will not be what it really is, free and undeserved. Is that the end? Give it to me in the New King James because he flips it. He shows us the two sides of it. It says, if by grace, then it is not works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. <laughs> but if it is of works, then it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is... It is either or. It's not Ishmael and Isaac dragging for sonship. Do you understand now why in Genesis 22, 1, God told Abraham, take your son, your only son. <laughs> he said, oh, the translators made him. No, it's not a mistake. Take now your son, your only son, Isaac. By this time, Ishmael was around 31 years old. There's no way God could have forgotten that Ishmael used 13 to 14 years to senior Isaac. Ishmael was about 14 when Isaac was born. Isaac was a teenager at this point. There's no how you just forget that Ishmael exists. But God said, take your son, your only son, because in Isaac shall your seed be called. So only one son is being reckoned with here. The one I delivered. The one I manufactured. Only one son has my attention here. The one I did with my spirit. Only one son I know. The one I begat. Only one son I know. The one I gave you. Ishmael is there, I know, I know, he's okay, you know, but mercy will cover him somehow, but the song we're talking about is Isaac. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, because it's never been by works. Otherwise, grace cannot be said to be grace. <laughs> Are you here now? Galatians 4 in the NLT 30, I believe. 
We're not sharing inheritance with a free woman son, 31 and the final verse. In there, so dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. Hallelujah. I can go on and on and show you how the message has been preached for all ages. Genesis 27, you see the story, verses 11 and 13, 11 to 13, with Jacob and Rebecca with Isaac. You know? Go and do what I said, and the father can eat this thing and bless you. And Jacob goes, But I'm not hairy. My father will figure me out. And Rebecca says, Yes. Let the curse that will come upon you come upon me. Genesis 27, 12. She stood as meditator. And you see what, you see what Paul says in Galatians 3, 13? Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. As was written, curse is everyone who hangs on the tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. Christ became the curse. Rebecca telling him, if a curse is going to come upon you for this thing, I will carry it. So then you're not going into Isaac on your strength and your merit. My merit, not yours. Yes! Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 27 and 12 or 13. Go, go back to 12. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. 13. But his mother said to him, let your curse be upon me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Get him for me. And you know how the rest of the story plays out. You see her there as a type of Christ, our intercessor. Our mediator between God and man. I put here, as I begin to close for today, God always intended to destroy the law once its work was done. He never intended to prosper it. God always intended to destroy the law or set aside the law or retire the law or do away with the law once its work was done. He never intended to prosper it. That's why he says, Esau have I hated. Jacob have I loved. Because Jacob was a son of grace. Not of works. Or not of the law. Because I showed you a few weeks ago that if you're looking at it on account of law and right, Esau was the one that should have received the blessing. Birthright or not, it's the firstborn. But that's not how it works. Malachi chapter 1. I know, Malachi, right? Malachi 1 verse 1. I need 2 and 3, but give me from verse 1. Shevida Malago Sorebesh. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. Stay here carefully. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother 
Give me the NLT. I'm going to show you a bit more what the, the, the figure of speech here is saying. I've always loved you, says the Lord. But you retort, really? How have you loved us? And the Lord replies, this is how I showed my love for you. Go on. I loved your ancestor, Jacob. But I rejected his brother Esau. Oh, Jesus. And devastated his hill country. I turned Esau's inheritance into a desert for jackals. Now, please, when you read your Bible, you will see that Esau did well. By the time Jacob was coming back from Laban, Esau was a force to be reckoned with. Esau was not a pushover. But God says here, I rejected his brother Esau. Devastated his hill country. I turned Esau's inheritance into a desert for jackals. That is what God does. That's what he did with any work of the law. Which is what Esau represents. So Esau's inheritance now is a desert for jackals. Nothing good can come out of the works of the law in this season because go back to the previous slide because I have taken his country and I have devastated it. Anybody now trying to till the ground in Esau's land shall come up with nothing. A vologo sheribandaha anybody that is trying to take us back to the law that we have been delivered from is trying to produce or get produce out of devastated territory out of a desert reserved for jackals picture lion king and how outside there there was those wild dogs and they had nothing that's what the territory of Esau is now, figuratively. So if you want to stay in the hill country that is devastated, so be my guest. If you want to labor in the desert that only harbors jackals, be my guest. Are you understanding the Esau and Jacob thing better? Jeremiah 49, 8 to 10. Don't forget Galatians 4. I told you about Ishmael and Isaac. Mount Sinai, right? In Arabia and Jerusalem. Jeremiah chapter 49, verse 8 through to 10. Flee, turn back, dwell in the depths, O inhabitants of Dedan. For I will bring the calamity of Esau upon him. The time that I will punish him, verse 9. If grape gatherers come to you, would they not leave some gleaning grapes? If, if, if thieves by night, will they not destroy until they have had enough? But I have made Esau bear. 
I have uncovered his secret places and he shall not be able to hide himself. His descendants are plundered. Livra Gabada, his brethren and his neighbors. And he is no more. God did not come and improve the law. God in Christ devastated the law. Colossians, Colossians 2 and verse 10, you see that the law was not improved upon at all. You are completing him who is the head of all principality and power quickly. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting up the body of the sin of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. 13. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. You thought you would have stopped there having forgiven your trespasses because your sin has been the issue between you and God and he's taken away your sin and grace enables you to keep the law. But he goes ahead and says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to to us and he has this is the law this is the law this is Esau this is Esau this is Esau he had taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross 15 having disarmed principalities and powers he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it tell your neighbor Esau did not survive have <laughs> the other neighbor and say Esau did not survive because scripture says Esau is no more Esau is no more Esau is no more they came to a mountain that cannot be touched and burned with fire they came to Mount Sinai where when God tried to speak they ran away because they heard thunder and lightning but here's how I end by telling you today we have changed mountains <laughs> tell your neighbor we have changed mountains
Kasebosho, Eganamale Hendo Sagabaha, Idemine Koshibranda to Sobenish, Palalamaleke and the Masoke. anybody scare you again see him he says for you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and burned with fire and to blackness 
and darkness and tempest. That's not the mountain you have come to. Give me in the NLT. Let me see what he says in the NLT or the TPT verse 18. You have not come to a physical mountain. To a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom and whirlwind. Why will you scare sons of God with fire? Why will he scare them with fire? When the new covenant says we have not come to a mountain that is consumed with fire. Such that the children of Israel cannot approach it. 24, they could not endure what was commanded. Give me 20 in the NLT. They staggered back under God's command. If, even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I'm terrified and trembling. 22. No. To Mount Zion. We have changed mountains. So hear me, look at me. We are not going to any mountain to find him. We are not of the stock. And we are not of the ilk that climb mountains to seek his face. He chose the He chose the mountain upon which he will be seen. And he exalted himself upon that mountain. No other mountain is powerful enough and we have come on the mountain of consequence the only mountain that matters the only mountain that is relevant and not only can we touch this this mountain is a person and he dwells in us Ishmael was a person mothered by Hagar who was a person and yet was referred to as a mountain. In the same way Jezebel was a woman and yet was referred to as a spirit and a system of Babylon. Isaac therefore is also a person that existed. is a son from Mount Zion the city of the living God some of you are wondering why I say Mount Zion is a person because it says you have come to Mount Zion the city of the living God the innumerable company of angels the church of the firstborn whose names are registered in heaven you have come to Jesus Christ 
So I know what I'm saying. Mount Zion is a person. His name is Christ Jesus. The date of a new covenant and he dwells in you. You're not the one touching him. He's the one touching you. He's all over you. Oh, we have changed mountains. Esau's place is desolate. He's no more. But he takes away the first. That he might establish the second. I was just trying to introduce the audience of the gospel. I haven't gone far at all. Just to show you that this message has been the message from ages past. That's all this exercise has been about. I've not even gotten to begin to establish the audience of the gospel. I haven't begun to show you how, how the gospel is for the rich and the poor. And no matter how rich you are, outside the gospel you are very poor. How the gospel is for the Jew and the Gentile, and the Gentile cannot say they were not under the law ever because scripture confined all of us under sin, and where there is no law, there cannot be sin. So everybody who was a sinner is a casualty of the law. Whether you're a Jew or Gentile, the law affected you, slapped you in the face, you could do nothing about it. Represent look at how the gospel is relevant for both the sinner and the saint. The saint needs the gospel just as badly as the sinner does. <laughs> so I haven't actually got into the audience of the gospel. I was just laying the premise for you. How you can understand from where we started that God's agenda for all ages has been kingdom. Therefore, the message of the gospel is the message of the kingdom. And therefore, that message has been relevant for all ages. So I start to show you from Genesis and start to show you through all the major thrusts of the scriptures. How the entire thing has been about the gospel of the kingdom. Who himself is a person. Yes. Yes, sir. Story after story one message and you can't blame us because you didn't see him in the story he's everywhere calling out at sons who will see and we're not bound by the works of Esau because Esau is no more there's no more. Uh, I've said a lot of things today. I've told you it doesn't matter how many children Penina has. It doesn't matter how quickly Leah was given birth. If Leah's slaves were given birth quickly. But when the Lord does it, it is grand. I'll show you next week forget there Isaiah 7 Isaiah is prophesying in Isaiah and he's saying in chapter 7 say, why is, why is, what's wrong with you 
Why so difficult? You're looking for a sign. Okay, this is the sign you shall have. A virgin shall conceive and shall bear a child, and you shall name him Emmanuel. Isaiah 7. Virgin shall conceive. Hundreds of years earlier. And theologians come and argue that, hey, yeah, well, his wife gave birth. Because Isaiah was married to a prophetess, you see in chapter 8 of Isaiah. His wife gave birth, but the child's name was not Emmanuel. That's a problem. And there's nothing to say that she, he was Isaiah's first child or that his wife was a virgin. And if that was the case in chapter 8 and the child was Emmanuel, then how come in chapter 9 Isaiah is still prophesying untowards a child is born? <laughs> untowards a son is given, the government shall be punished. Listen, there's so much to teach. So when in Matthew chapter 2, you now see him being born, it says that he might be fulfilled what was written. A virgin shall conceive. It's a grand message. Never finishes. Never. So we'll continue next week. Rest in the assurance that what the Lord does is forever. Rest in the assurance that you are shut in. (laughs) Rest in the assurance that when you feel like you didn't do anything, that is when you should be most assured. Because it means you know you have not tried to help God. As far as your salvation is concerned. And then we ended up here in Hosar, Malachi, in Jeremiah. We have seen the end of the law, desolation and waste. We have seen that. We might not see it and realize it and we haven't been taught enough, but we come into light and knowledge that our mountain location has changed. So the devil cannot by condemnation harass you. The devil cannot by human participation intimidate you. Religion has lost its final grip on you. Today. Somebody has been struggling with it. You you have sat in this place. You have been in this church. You have sat under the gospel of the grace of God. And you know the truth. But somewhere, somehow, you you find yourself constantly struggling. Because you still cannot understand the fact that by design, it is supposed to be too good to be true. By design, it's supposed to be too good to be true and today the last stranglehold of religion in your life took a beating and died because it's not of works lest anyone should boast oh father we give you praise oh come on what a biting house well that's it for today's teaching we trust it has been worth your time for more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the Truth Simply Put or at War the Church. 
You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.